Hey, hey, welcome to your day off. My name is Corey, and of course, I sit with my best bud, Tony. What's up, Tony? Hey, what's going on, man? Hey, uh, yeah, this, this is going to be an exciting uh, uh, podcast today. Uh, yeah. It's, you know, it's about uh, racing for profit, right? Peter Mahoney. It's amazing. And, uh, you know, those that uh, I, I think that are about to open up a salon is going to learn so much, and if, uh, uh, if they sign it, that dotted line, they might want to uh, try to renegotiate that after they listen to this. <laughs> exactly. And then you got those that are thinking about it but are afraid. Right. I think this might uh, help them pull the trigger a little bit if uh, if they uh, listen to the podcast to get you know all these benefits. They start do. their own salons and stuff. One hundred percent. I'm like, I've been really excited about this when we talked to Peter a couple months ago about coming on and talking about it. Like. Like, this is what, like, this is, you know, part of what we wanted to do as a podcast. We really wanted to give good practical information to, to, uh, to salon owners, to hairstylists, to, to everyone. And this, this is just, this just, we marked this up because I'm honestly, I don't think I've ever, ever heard this conversation about um, leasing for profit or, or, or just even the least talk, you know, and, and it seems like, um, you know, uh, especially hair, and I think it's fair to say that, you know, most hair salons go out of business and, you know, Peter's going to tell us why that is, and um, and a lot of it has to do with how they uh, uh, initially set up their uh, their lease. You know, the conversations that we've had off air, uh, you know, the the amount of hundreds of thousands of dollars that he's what he, he's going to tell these stories, but right? It blows my mind. You it's know what I mean? Incredible. It, yeah, absolutely. But let's uh, let's, let's get, in, let's let's get not, into it. Let's not be the clunky old guys. Let's bring in the experts. You know? <laughs> so. Uh, once again, uh, uh, Peter Mahoney, who is the, uh, God, I'm going to mess up the title, the president of Salon Summit Business Center, whatever, Peter, it's on you. Peter, welcome to your day off. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Uh, good to be back. You guys, uh, are, glad you to guys have are looking you back, as man. handsome as ever. <laughs> Liar. <laughs> That's it. So, so, like, Peter, um, let's kind of jump in. Like, do you have, like, some statistics or anything that, that, that talk about, like, uh, you know, salons closing and, and all that jazz? Yeah, well, we know in 2017, uh, about 5% of traditional salons in the U.S. closed their doors. So, in round numbers, that would be 12 to 15,000 salons. Wow. 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 Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And how many of those do you think were, um, were related to uh, either um, bad leases or they could have done a better job? I would say, you know, in my career, I've looked at a lot of financial statements for independent salon owners, and I would say a good 50 to 60% of them, in my opinion, are paying too much rent. Wow. So, I mean, in that number, man, you're talking about like 7,500 salons could, may have possibly saved their business. You know, had they just like on day one, it's so funny because it's on day one, you have to make that decision. You know, it's not something that you can kind of learn. Right? It's like, it's like, well, you're going to learn today. Right. <laughs> that's awesome, Peter. Well, that's the fundamental problem is that if you think about it, when you're opening a new salon, so on the, on the, at the point in your career where you have the least amount of experience and the least amount of information about running a successful business, 
you're expected to make one of the most important decisions. So that's not a combination that goes together real well. Well, hopefully we can give, give them some information today then that uh, will help them through that. Go ahead, sir. Uh, I, I was just going to say, yeah, I, I just can't wait to, I got my pen in hand and my paper. <laughs> I'm ready to take these notes. All right, Peter, where do we get started, bud? Well, I, I, I mean, I guess we could start at the end and what I could, like some real practical advice to give salon owners is, it's kind of like, think about it when you buy it, you're, you're going to buy or lease a car. So, you know, your initial, initially, it's just all the excitement about the car, the way it looks, the color, the options, you know, and then it comes down to, okay, here's the monthly payment I got to make. So then you've got to evaluate that payment against your income to decide whether or not you can afford it. Well, it's no different when you're going to build a salon, you know, initially the excitement takes over about owning your own business. And then the reality sets in, I got to write this check every month to the landlord. But when salon owners ask themselves the question, can I afford the rent? Most of them don't have a framework to make that decision from like they do when they're leasing a car because they can look at their personal income and go, does this work or doesn't? So the framework I'd like to give you is you got to think about the total rent, the check that you got to write the landlord as a percent of the sales of your business. And the bottom line is, here's a simple way to think about it. If that rent check is going to be 16% or more of what you think you can produce in sales, you're going to lose money. At 16%, you're going to break even. If you can get that rent to 10%, you're going to make a 4 or 5% profit. If you want to hit a home run, that number can't be more than 5% of your sales. So the number one exercise a salon owner can do before they do anything else is take that rent number and do the backwards math and figure out what the sales have to be. So in other words, here's a, here's a simple formula. If the rent's going to be at 16%, you're going to multiply the rent by six to get the sales number that you need to do to break even. In order to get the rent to 10% of sales, you're going to multiply the rent by 10. And in order to get it to five, you're going to multiply it by 20. So here's a simple concept. If the total amount that I have to pay a landlord is, let's say it's $4,000 a month. So that's the rent the common area, all of the crap that they're going to bill me for comes to four grand. If I multiply that by 16, what it means is I got to do 64,000 a month in sales to break even. If I want to make a profit, I got to do 40,000. Sorry. If I want to break even, I've got to do 4,000 times six, 24,000 a month in sales to break even. If I want to make a decent profit, I've got to do 40. And if I want to hit a home run, I've got to multiply it by 20. I got to do 80,000 a month. Wow. Like that's the, I mean, just that simple number, like how can you even project out like, now? Clearly I'm not a salon owner, you know, like, like on, on, on a big scale, but like, how can you even project out that you can do like 80,000 a month or something, you know? Well, so here's the point though, if you think about it. So we know that, you know, the aver an average service provider is going to do 5,000 a month. So to do 80, I got to have 16 service providers. So if I'm sitting here, you know, six months from opening this business and I don't have any employees, the probability of me finding 16 people producing that kind of revenue is zero. So that, right. that's not a deal that I should sign. It's just not a deal that I, you know, so you have to really look at the quality of the location, your own ability, what you believe is possible. And then you look at what you're paying in rent and you have to make a decision. Is this really doable or not? 
And if it's not, then my strategy is to go to do it backwards and say, okay, what is doable? So what I try to do is figure out what I think I can do in sales. And then I do the backwards math and I go to the landlord and say, here's what I'm willing to pay in rent and here's why. And oftentimes you can be very successful at that because the landlord understands the logic. Right. So that's a negotiation tra uh, tactic for you then. So like, like I can think I do X amount of dollars in, per month. So my rent needs to be, that's pretty smart actually. So Peter, when you said that, um, you know, you needed, uh, you needed your service providers to provide, would you say like 5,000 a month or something? That's, um, that's bringing into the house. That's not like, that's not like your, uh, your service provider cut or anything, right? That's, that's the total. That's gross. Yeah. Needs. That's gross sales. Yep. That's, that's pretty awesome. Um, so a simple rule of thumb would be like, just to, to make it really simple. When a salon owner knows what the gross rent is, the simple rule of thumb would be multiply it by 10 because at that level, you're making a reasonable profit. If you don't think that you can produce that level of sales on average over the term of the lease, then you probably shouldn't sign the deal. So if the rent's four grand a month, I got to believe that over a five-year period of time or the duration of that lease, I can average 40,000 a month in sales. If I can't do that, then I probably shouldn't sign that deal. Wow. So even at 4,000 a month, I mean, you need to make sure that you have a, that 4,000 is covering enough square footage where you can bring in, you know, whatever 10 hairdressers or, or, or whatever number that is. Right. I mean, exactly. you can't do a thousand out of a single, out of a single unit. Yeah. You need to be doing it in terms of square footage. You probably need to be doing five to $600 a square foot to really be utilizing that space efficiently. Wow. So how does that math work with the other math? Okay, so here would be a rule of thumb. So if I said, okay, I got to pay 4,000 in, in rent. I need to do 40,000 a month in sales. That's going to be on an annual basis. That's going to be 480,000 in sales. If I divide that by $500 a square foot, I'm going to get roughly a thousand square feet. So that's a thousand square foot space in essence that I, sh I should be able to do that out of a thousand square feet. So 480,000. So how many providers were there? I mean, well, well, let's back up a little bit. So is there a rule, and I don't know if this is a leasing question or not, but is there a rule about how, how big like one station should be, like how many square feet, feet it should be? Yeah, it's about, 100, it's about 100 square feet per station. And that includes common area as well, or that's just like around that station? Yeah, that should allow enough room for a retail area and a reception area. That's pretty good to know then. Right. That's great to know. Yeah. That's a good number there. All right, Peter, let's move on, man. We're, uh, we're building a salon right now. Yeah. So, so here's the other way people get in trouble. So if you think about it, the primary focus for most salon owners when they're dealing with a landlord is the rent. So whether they understand the math or not, once they get to a rent number that they believe they can live with, then typically that's where the negotiation ends. But in my opinion, that's where the problems begin because what'll typically happen is the landlord will send an offer that says, I'll rent you this space for this much money. We agree on it. And part of the offer will say that you have to sign our lease before you open. Well, in the lease document is where all the problems begin. And so there's probably eight or 10 clauses that most people ignore that are the things that come back to bite them in the, in the rear end at the end of the day. And so I'll give you a simple example. 
So landlord says, okay, we're going to do a five-year deal. The rent's going to start at $20. It's going to go up a dollar a year for the next five years. So in year two, we're at 21. In year three, we're at 22. And then we finish at 24, $25 a square foot. Okay, so here's what people don't think about. When I go to negotiate the renewal on that lease, I'm now negotiating from $25. But the truth is, the average of what I paid over that five years was $22.50. I would have been way better off to sign a five-year lease at $22.50 than a lease that goes up a dollar a year because then I'd be negotiating from $22.50 five years later instead of from $25. So what I've done is I've just given the landlord a 10% increase in the rent before we even start negotiating. Wow, that's sneaky. Yeah, <laughs> sneaky landlord guy. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. Actually, that is. Does that also work? Like, I know that some leases are set on like a three percent, um, you know, bump every year. Is that kind of the same rule? Yeah, same rule of thumb. So, what's happening is, if you take that three percent bump and you do the math, what I would do is I would go to the average of that rent and I would try to to get out of that three percent and just get a fixed number. That's in that, that that's the average of that three percent over the five years because then I'm negotiating. See, the reason they do the three percent is for exactly what I'm describing to you because most people don't do the math and it just seems like oh three percent. What's three percent? Well, you do three percent a year for ten, fifteen, or twenty years, and it's an enormous amount of money, right? That's like a third, right? I'm gonna go back and try to. I'm gonna try that one. <laughs> try to renegotiate my lease. Right. All right. What are the other clauses, Peter, that we have to be aware of? So the other thing is um, um, exclusivity or restrictive covenants. So these kind of work hand in hand. So typically, the way you have to think about this is the document the landlord se sends the tenant will com be completely stacked in the landlord's favor. What you're trying to do is get it completely stacked in your favor. But ultimately, you're trying to you're going to settle somewhere in the middle. So what the landlord will typically say is that we don't grant exclusivity to anybody, but we also want a, a radius clause that says you won't open another salon within a certain perimeter of our shopping center. Well, in my opinion, you can't have it both ways. So if you give me exclusivity, then I'll give you a radius clause. But if you're not going to give me exclusivity, I'm not giving you a radius clause. And, you know, when you open that salon, you don't think about opening another salon. But I can tell you, I have several salons that are within a half a mile of each other. Um, and so, you know, if you're successful, you want to open another salon. Now the landlord is controlling your ability to do that. So that's something that you really want to pay attention to. <laughs> Unless you do it in one of his properties. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Sure the next one, wow. which is another big one, is personal guarantees. So most landlords will not lease to first-time salon owners without a personal guarantee. I would never sign a lease with a personal guarantee. Now, we obviously, you know, 30 years in business, we obviously have a covenant that's very strong, and so we don't even get asked to do that anymore. But back in the early days, you know, the first lease I ever signed, I had to sign a personal guarantee, but I put a clause in the lease that said, if I make all the payments on time and I'm not in default, on the renewal of this lease, the first renewal after five years, the personal guarantee goes away. Smart. Because think about it. What I see, I see this all the time. Salon owners who are on their fourth or fifth lease renewal, they're at the end of their careers, the market turns, the business is turned, now all of a sudden they're in financial trouble and they still got a personal guarantee on that lease from 20 years ago. 
They, That's crazy. They could have got out of that guarantee five times, but they didn't bother. And now they've got a problem because now their personal assets are up against that lease, which means that, you know, if they default, the landlord can go after their home, can go after all of their personal assets. When they signed the lease, they probably didn't have a lot of a lot to lose, but now they do. They should have negotiated their way out of that guarantee. The way to do it is up front because the other key principle here, guys, is you have zero leverage once you sign the deal. All of your leverage is before you sign the lease. Just like all your leverage negotiating the price of a vehicle is before you write the check. Once you write the check, they're not going to give you your money back because you, you paid the wrong price, right? Right. That's so smart, too. <laughs> Sorry, guys. If you just signed and you're listening, uh, we apologize. <laughs> this is a little late for you. <laughs> I feel like we have to rush this out. You know, yeah, this, this for podcast. real. <laughs> All right, Peter, what other bombs do you have to, uh, to, to, to make some happy and some sad? Well, these are a little more subtle but important. So the next one would be signage. You know, depending on the type of property, if it's a commercial shopping center or a strip mall, oftentimes they'll have a pylon sign on the road. And oftentimes the, the, the prime locations on the pylon sign are gone. So you open your salon and, you know, your, your, your visibility is limited. So number one, you should try to go after that as much as possible. But number two, you should put a clause in that says, look, if that spot on the sign ever becomes vacant, I want it. In other words, you have, you have to think not just about today, but about what happens down the road. So maybe you can't get premier signage today, but you put it in your lease. So if it comes available, because here's what will happen is if you don't do that, they'll never give it to you. Because when that prime signage becomes available, they're going to use it as a marketing tool to try and fill another empty space. They're not going to give it to an existing tenant. That makes total sense. I mean, from their side, it makes total sense, you know, but if you, can, if you can negotiate that pre, uh, pre-lease or... As a, as Peter likes to say, piece pre signage. Yeah, right. And they're, and they're trying to get you in, so I'm sure they're gonna be like, oh, sure, okay, yeah. You're playing the three percent game with them, right? <laughs> All right. What, what are some other of the uh, nuanced ones? So another one would be relocation clauses. So landlords never want to be restricted. Oftentimes, you know, their their buildings are sitting on large parcels of land, and they're hoping to expand their strip mall or their shopping center. And so if the right mix comes along, they always want to retain the ability to move you if they can do another deal with someone. Um, That's standard. You're not going to get it removed. But the trick is you got to make sure it's on their dime because in the initial document they send you, they typically don't say at landlord's expense. And so if you sign it and two years down the road, they want to move you, it's going to be at your expense. And then even if it's at the landlord's expense, the question becomes, are you going to get a space as good as the one you have now? Or are they moving you to the back of the shopping center because Starbucks wants your location, right? So you got to make sure that you protect yourself, that the deal you sign today is the deal that stays intact to the end of the lease. You don't have the ability to change the lease document. So why should the landlord have that ability, right? Right. Mm. If it's on their dime, though, you know you're going to end up behind the... Uh... <laughs> On the back of the shopping center, right? Yeah, so the so the, the lease needs to read that it's going to be of comparable space and it has to be approved by the tenant. So in other words, if you pick a spot for me that I don't think is equivalent, I don't have to accept it. It's like right of first refusal or something, right? Well, I mean, it's, you know what I mean? It, it has to be a joint decision. Can't, you know... It's like a no trade clause in the NBA. Right. <laughs> and here's a concept I want you to think about is so let's pretend you're the landlord and I'm the tenant. A lot of what you're trying to do as a landlord is you're trying to protect yourself from the unknown. So you're thinking about, 
okay, what if the center does really well and I have a, a thousand square foot space left and somebody wants to rent two from me, but I can move Peter's salon and rejig things and make it all work. You, you, wanna, you wanna protect yourself to have the ability to make these kind of decisions down the road. But it's at this point in time, it's an unknown to you. It's also an unknown to me, the tenant. So the reason I explain this is because you're gonna negotiate, you're not gonna walk away from a deal with me to get certainty about something that's unknown to you. The certainty is right now. When I sign that lease, you're gonna get my rent check. So I'm a big strategist about negotiating all the uncertainties down the road because my experience is I can get a lot of the landlords because it's it hasn't happened yet. It's as much of an unknown to them as it is to me. But if one of those events takes place three or four years down the road, you wanna make sure that you're not on the losing end of that. The way you do that is to get it negotiated properly up front, right? Wow. So, well, first off, do you have any more bombs to share? Because I've got some thoughts to share. Yeah, so the other big bomb is, uh, is what's referred to as percentage rent. So this is a typical clause landlords put in leases. So they basically say, you're going to pay me $20 a square foot or 8% of sales, whichever is greater. So the theory is, if... I gave you too good a deal and your business does really well, then you're going to, I'm going to get more rent out of you based on sales. And a lot of tenants don't calculate what we call the break even point. So I'm going to, let me try to explain that in, in simple terms. So let's pretend that we have, let's pretend we got a 2000 square foot salon that's paying $20 a square foot. Okay. So the, the annual rent, before all the common area and taxes and all that is going to be $40,000 a year. If there's a clause in there that says you're going to pay that, or you're going to pay, for example, 8% of sales. then the question becomes at what sales number is 8% greater than the $40,000 in rent. So if you do the backwards math, it comes to a half a million dollars. In other words, if I do half a million dollars or less, I'm going to pay the 40 grand. But if I do a dollar over a half a million, I've got to start paying an additional 8%. Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah, but that's, that's your profit, right? I mean, that's your don't, profit. Most salons, don't run, most salons run at 10% of the goal is to run at 10%? That's that, yeah. But in any, in any large commercial shopping center, you're going to have percentage rent. But the real trick here is, and a lot of people don't realize this, is if I could, so let's say I could negotiate that 8% down to, six percent so a lot of the landlords will argue to the tenant well what's six percent it doesn't matter because on a hundred thousand dollars in incremental sales you're just going to pay us two thousand dollars less so in, in our example if we did six hundred thousand in sales we'd have a hundred thousand dollars in sales beyond that break-even point and we have to pay the landlord eight thousand more if i got it down to six the theory is i'd only have to pay six more but that's not true because watch what happens. If you do the backwards math at 6%, the break-even point jumps from a half a million to 667,000. In other words, I don't even pay a dime until I hit 667,000 if I can get that down 2%. So I've just wow. saved myself $12,000 a year because the, the break point moves up. Wow, wow, that's genius. Slimy landlords. And, and, and you've been successful negotiating yeah. the eight six. Yeah, I don't have a I don't have a percentage uh, rent clause in the lease today that's higher than five percent. And most of mine are now at four. 
but the landlord will try to get it at eight. So the bottom line is, if you can't negotiate out of it, I would never do one higher than 5%. And if the land, if you push hard enough, the landlord will accept it. All right. More bombs, Peter. Uh, So the other one would be landlords work. So oftentimes to induce tenants, the landlords will say, we'll do some of the work. So you have to be very clear on what they're doing and what they're not doing because they use all kinds of funky language you know, are they bringing the, the power to the premises? Are they bringing the water to the premises? So what, are, what exactly are they responsible for? What are you responsible for? Because even on a thousand square foot salon, the difference in the language can be twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000. If you're taking the space as is, what does that mean? You don't know what you're dealing with. You could be dealing with environmental issues. You could be dealing with, you know, concrete floors that have to be removed. Um, that's, that's a classic for landlords. When you're taking over an existing space, they want to rent it to you as is. Well, what does that mean? You need to get very clear on what that is, right? The other one is extensions and renewal clauses. Okay. So let's go back to our example. I sign a five-year deal and I'm able to successfully negotiate the rent at 2250 instead of 20, 21, 22. So now my five years are up and I have a renewal clause and it says, typically it'll say if I've paid all my bills on time and I'm not in default of my lease, I have the right to renew my lease for another five years subject to rent to be negotiated. Well, that, that clause is completely useless because at the end of the day, I'm nowhere. I mean, the landlord can tell me, oh, the space is worth $30 now. What am I going to do? Am I going to walk away? The landlord knows I'm not going to walk away because if I've dumped $100,000 worth of leaseholds into that, it's going to cost me hundred grand to move the salon, so I'm stuck. So the bottom line is, on any of these deals, you should be trying to get, in my opinion, 15 to 20 years of fixed deals but in five-year increments. So I want a lease that says, I'm gonna pay $22.50 for five years, and then if I wanna renew, I'm gonna pay $24 for the next five, and then if I wanna renew again, I'm gonna pay $26 for the next five, because then it's, the, then it's in my court. If I get to the renewal, and I'm supposed to pay $24, and the market is dropped, and I think market rent has fallen to $20, I can always walk away. Or I can say to the landlord, I'm paying $20 or I'm walking. But if I don't fix the rent, then I'm playing into the landlord's hand. I've lost my leverage, right? (laughs) That's crazy. It's just like, but but, you know, like when Peter opened up and he was like, you know, you're so excited when you buy the, uh, when when you're getting into the salon and like, it's an exciting time in your life, you know, but you know how he's setting it up for, for 15 to 20 years worth of success, you know, like, and, and it's amazing because also, like he said, like, you know nothing. You don't even know what you don't know, you know? Yeah. So, and, and how these leases are, are, are set up and stuff. Well, That's crazy. and so the other common thing that lands, landlords will do to force, it's like a poker game. You know, why do you have blinds in poker to force people to bet? Well, what landlords do is they'll put a clause in the lease that says, if we can't successfully negotiate the renewal. So if it says rent to be negotiated and you're still in the premises after the date the lease expires, you're considered to be what we call um, on hold as a tenant. And the on hold rent is often 50% more than the rent you're paying. So basically what they're saying to you is, if we don't get this deal done by the time your lease expires, your rent goes up 50% till we sign a new lease. So what that forces you to do is to negotiate. 
And if your rent is only going to go up by 10 or 15%, you think you got a deal versus the 50. So you got to get that out of the lease, right? In other words, if you're overholding on a lease, the rent should be the rent you're paying now and no more. Wow. That's incredible. And is that spelled out, the 50%? Yes. Is that spelled out? Yeah, almost every commercial lease on the planet has that clause in it. But the problem is that, and here's the other thing, you know, no disrespect to our friends in the accounting field or the legal field, but you can run these leases by 100 lawyers and they'll never tell you any of this because all they're looking for is to see if the document is legal. They're not looking at the commercial terms of the lease because, quite frankly, a lot of them don't understand them. And so if a lot of salon owners, they really default to their solicitor for advice, but I don't, I, in my experience, they don't give them good advice. If you're going to send this to a solicitor, it needs to be somebody who specializes in leasing and in negotiating of leases. So that's why, you know, we actually have a person at uh, Summit, that's all they do is we help salon owners negotiate a better lease. So we look at the document, we show them where all the pitfalls are, and we send them our recommendations on how they should go back to the landlord. All right. I mean, with that, I guess this is a good segue then. So, Peter, do you guys offer this to all salon owners or just to salon to Summit members? No, to all salon owners. So, and then I guess there's a premium for that? Yeah, so they can access this service uh, online through summitsalon.com if they contact financial services. Um, so, in order to, so we have two different fees. One, if we get involved in the negotiation, but honestly, we don't need to. I think the real value for them is, we'll read their existing document or the offer and we'll highlight all the areas um, where we feel they're potentially getting taken advantage of. And then we'll give them what we believe to be a negotiating strategy that then they can go back to the landlord with. And depending on the size of the document, it costs anywhere from 500 to $1,500 to do that. But in my opinion, they'll save that in spades if they take oh, our advice, right? Absolutely. Some of the stories that we talked about uh, prior to the get starting this podcast, I mean, you saved some salon owners hundreds of thousands of dollars throughout their, their lease contract. Yeah, I did a deal uh, recently um, with a gentleman in San Francisco who was opening a salon. And from the time the document he was prepared to sign and the document that we negotiated to be signed, there was a difference over the first 10 years of the lease of over $600,000. Six, I mean, so fifteen hundred dollars sounds <laughs> like a bargain, right? I know, right? I mean, that's 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 sixty thousand a year, right? Yeah, like think about that. Like, you know, how are you bringing sixty thousand a year into your business? You know, mm. that's incredible. The other uh, last thing I'll mention, you guys, one other one, which is very there's what's there are a couple. One is called a continuous use clause, which some leases have a clause that says. You, you cannot shut down the business no matter how bad things get. You have to operate it. And if you don't operate it, then you're liable to us for the cost of that. So that's obviously very onerous for salon owners. The other one is what's called a change of control, control clause. And so there's oftentimes a clause in the lease that says, if my company changes control, the lease opens back up again. So here would be an example. I own a salon. It's It's successful. I want to retire and I want to sell it to my employees. Well, there's a clause. So then when I go to, to do that transaction, I'm now changing control of the company. So I no longer am in control of somebody else's. Well, the lease document says, oh, guess what? That lease is now opened back up and the landlord has the ability to change the rent. 
So you can't sell the rent as, you know, part of your, part of your negotiation or part of your, uh, part of your deal. Then. Not if that clause is in your lease. So that's, that's a no fly zone. Like you have to get that removed from the lease. Otherwise what the landlord is really saying is I want to put my hand in your pocket and I want some of the profit from your business if you sell it, which to me is completely unreasonable. Right. That's crazy. That's that you're right. That's, that's just silliness. Just wrong. It is kind of wrong. But, but business, that's what they do. So Peter, okay. So, you know, listen, we've given a lot, but I mean, the reality is, is like, I'm a first time salon owner, you know, it's, it's, I've done really, really well from behind the chair for 10 years. You know, I'm 31 years old. I'm, I'm looking to open to my salon and, um, are, are, are landlords willing to negotiate a lot of this stuff out, even though it's your first go at it? Does that make sense? Yeah, I think they absolutely are because at the end of the day, what they're most interested in is the rent. And as I said, all these other things I'm describing to you are their way of protecting themselves from future events that haven't happened yet. So they're much more open to negotiate those events than they are the financial terms of the current deal. But at the end of the day, it comes down to supply and demand. So, you know, if you're opening in a shopping center or a strip mall that has vacancy, you have lots of leverage. If it's full, then you have less leverage. And so what you're looking for are real estate opportunities that you think have potential, but are currently below market. So that could be an old, an old strip mall that just got purchased by a new owner and, and they're going to revise it, right? You're trying to get in at the ground level on a property you believe five years down the road will be a better location than it is today. Right. So, um, lost my train of thought. <laughs> oh, so, so let's say, so, you know, you, you gave us like 10 things to, to, to look in the lease and to negotiate out. Is there a top five, if they're not willing to do all 10, is there a top five that you're like, you have to get these out or you have to get these negotiated? Like, like what are the, out of the 10 that the you deal breakers on our side, right? Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. So here are the deal breakers for me. So number one, number one, you got to You've got to find out what the total rent is you're going to pay. You got to multiply it by 10 and you got to believe that you can do that amount of sales on average every month for however long you think you're going to be in that salon. If you don't believe you can achieve that number, then you got a bad deal. That's number one. Number two, you've got to get out of the personal guarantee because that's your downside risk, right? And if you can't get out of it immediately, then you've got to get out of it upon renewal. Because once you've demonstrated to the landlord your ability to pay, at some point, they should be willing to release you from that. That just sounds fair on everyone's level, right? That's number two. Number three, try and eliminate any percentage rent clauses or any additional rent clauses. Awesome. Number four, get as much time as you can in five-year increments. So you don't want to sign a 20-year lease because then you're stuck for 20 years. You don't want to sign a 10-year lease, you're stuck for 10 years. What you want to sign is a five-year lease with three five-year options because now you've got, you've got 20 years if you want to be there, but every five years you get, to make a you get to make a decision whether you want to stay or not based on your deal, right? And you should try to get the rents negotiated up front for at least the first two. Love that. And if we had a number five, if we had a number five, it would really be for me about things like relocation, 
exclusivity, anything that's going to mess with your business at some point down the road, right? Got it. God, these are just these are just nuggets. Right, but I'm shooting for all ten. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we need a list of twenty so we right. can shoot. So we can shoot for these ten. Right. <laughs> we need twenty shitty lease deals, right? <laughs> Clauses so we can like negotiate down to ten. I mean, it, I feel out of even the top five, I don't. All five have equal power, right? I mean, in the it, it it's just amazing, mind blowing that none of this I would have looked at right i mean none of it yeah and and also kind of like what peter gave was like listen like you can have the greatest lawyer in the world but you know if he doesn't know to look for these things he's only making sure that it's a legal document you know he's not really there in in an advisory role right Right. no and the problem with brokers is if you think about it if you go and hire a commercial real estate broker to find you a location they're collecting their fee from the landlord so think about it. If I'm a commercial broker and you're a major landlord in my town, do I want to piss you off and fight for my tenant? Because what's going to happen is then you're, you're going to stop doing deals with me because I don't want to just do a deal with you for this salon. I want to do a deal with you for the coffee shop for everybody else that wants to rent space. So the trick is as a tenant, you need to represent somebody. You need to get someone to represent you that you're paying. So if you're using our services, you're paying us. We get nothing from the landlord. So we're negotiating on your behalf. A broker is negotiating really on the landlord's behalf. They're just telling you they're doing it for you. But at the end of the day, they're getting paid by the landlord, right? Right. That's, that's so smart. I mean, go to Summit. <laughs> you know, like, like if you're going to do a, a deal, go to Summit. At least have them, at least they'll explain to you what's in your lease. Right? Five hundred to fifteen hundred dollars. Yes, exactly. you, know, you know, no, that's a no-brainer. Does the fifteen hundred? Does that include, or is that just like the advice of the land of the uh, lease, or does that, if uh, if you get, uh, you know, Peter Mahoney's voice as well, or what's the premium for um, for Summit to come in and actually negotiate? Your yeah, if we're actually negotiating it, then we would at the end of the day go back to the landlord and try and get the fee from the landlord but we would be negotiating on the tenant's behalf but i always believe the tenant will will get the better deal if they educate themselves and they understand what they're trying to go out there and negotiate Um, we really we really want to see the tenant win and in the end i think it's a great education for the tenant to understand what they're really up against Um, you know so, so my my real passion is just educating people about how to negotiate a better deal themselves so they're in control right yeah we have peter's phone number that we'll give everybody at the end of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> call, him, call him direct he doesn't mind right <laughs> and call him late at night because i think he's on he's on that like he's in that hidden time zone <laughs> right but you know honestly i i'll be i gotta be honest with you i mean i i have such a love for this business and for the people in it and it hurts my heart um when I'm dealing with customers of ours and they're, you know, they're working their, you know, what off. And at the end of the day, the reason they're struggling and the reason they're not making money sometimes is just because they signed a really bad deal. And it's really hard to overcome that. You only get a crack at it once every five years. Right. And really only once though, because like you said, I mean, you know, so much of your 10 to 10 to 20 year old term is, is predetermined by the, uh, by the initial lease. That's why I love this podcast so much is the sense of we have people like Peter who love our industry yeah. as much as we do. You know what I mean? We're able to just get like-minded people in here to really help 
other hairdressers out sure. there. Exactly. That's yeah. amazing. Mr. Peter Mahoney, I'm going to let you go unless you have some other bombs to drop. Um, I mean, I'm just, my, my, my head is like blown apart right now. No, I, I think um, that's it. The only other thing I would say is if, if, you know, there's a listener that's really, really interested about educating themselves more, we have an audio uh, they can access at summitsalon.com um, where I'm just walking them through basically what we talked about today and educating them on how to better negotiate a lease. And so it's for an investment of 30 or $35, whatever it is, then they can, you know, listen to it over and over again. So they really understand. And if they've got a doc, a lease document in front of them, they'll see exactly what we're referring to if they take the time to read it. And I, at the end of the day, I don't think there's any better education than educating yourself, you know, um, and just making themselves aware of that. Right and get some professional help. It may seem like, you know, gosh, I got to spend a thousand or $2,000 on this, but trust me, at the end of the day, it's the best money they'll ever spend to get professional advice before they sign on the dotted line. I love that. Amen. Love that. Love that. Love that. Well, Mr. Peter Mahoney uh, and summit. I mean, I think we can thank summit too, you know, absolutely. Thank, thank you summit. And thank you, Peter. Thanks for joining us on your day off. My pleasure guys. Have a great holiday. And the best in 2019. Hey, hey, so there it is. Hey, this is a message that um, we've been trying to bring, I don't know, for the last couple of months, actually since we started the podcast. Hey, so if you like the podcast or if you find that it's useful, please, please, please leave us a review, a five-star review on iTunes. Um, leave us a rating and a review. But if you don't like it, forget about it. <laughs> Yeah, totally forget about this message. We also want to thank Sarah and Blaine from Pretty Gritty. Uh, Sarah and Blaine, they are a band out of uh, Portland, Oregon, and we just want to thank them very much for allowing us to use their song, Pleased to Meet You, on our podcast. Um, that's cool. I think you can find, actually you can, you can find their music on um, on iTunes. Peace and hair grease. Peace and hair grease.